Good morning, Emerge Church. You're feeling good today? Yeah. What a great day to be in the house of God and, uh, and to be back. I haven't been back here forever. I think the last time I was here was in February of 2020 before all chaos broke loose. And I remember being in an airport lounge in Los Angeles. I'd flown in and there was me and another guy, I obviously didn't know who he was, was in the airport lounge. This is February 2020. And he had this can of like disinfectant, like spray and he's spraying chairs down and the table sanitizer. And so I got my phone out, I'm taking photos and I'm sending them back to my wife like, look at this moron. Next month, I'm spraying everything down with sanitizer, myself down bathing in sanitizer. <laughs> but it's good to, be, good to be back, good to be back in uh, Australia and good to be with all of you uh, today. It's good to have my sister down here, Kayleen Sue, and uh, she's down from uh, North Queensland. So if you do get to talk to her, please talk to her slowly um, and use words with only one syllable. Otherwise, she won't be able to understand anything you're saying. So that's cool. Uh, just one thing before we get in the Word, I'm going to do a two-part message today. I'm going to do part two tonight. Uh, but in the lobby, uh, I have brought some resource with me. Uh, I started doing some art, and then my uh, wife's grandma, who's an artist, is like, you should produce that. So we created a whole heap of uh, cards called Inspired by Scripture. And so there's artwork on each one of those, a Scripture on the back. Good way of sending the word out to somebody that may not know God or encouraging somebody at work. So check those out before you go. Buy something for yourself and maybe a friend so I don't have to take it back to America with me. Would be good. That'd be good. Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four, verse uh, 17. Romans four, 17 says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Who calls into existence the things that do not exist. I'm gonna speak a message uh, today where faith lives. We are called to be people, men and women of faith. There's a story of a young boy who was on an airplane and he was flying on an airplane and he got all excited and he started to make a lot of noise and the old man beside him said, uh, what are you excited about? And he said, I just read the story where Moses crossed over the, the Red Sea and it's just amazing. And the old guy beside him said, well, not that amazing, mate, really. When you think about it, it wasn't really the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea and it was only about three inches of water so it wasn't really much of a miracle. And so the little boy's like, oh, and he goes back and starts reading. And then he just starts yelling again, oh, this is awesome, it's amazing. And the old man's like, what, 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 what are you going on about? He goes, God just drowned thousands of Egyptians in three inches of water. <laughs> Don't let anybody talk you out of your faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit here today. Pray that you'd overshadow us, Holy Spirit. We thank you that your word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. That's what we want. We wanna live better today. We wanna be stirred up in our faith. And so God, give us ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us individually. And Holy Spirit, let me have a prophetic edge on what I say today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen. I live in D.C., obviously not originally from there. I am a Queenslander. I went to Rema Bible College back in the day with uh, Dr. David Amari Cartledge, and we were doing uh, lectures on faith. Dr. Cartledge was preaching on faith. And I went to a COC church and uh, at an AOG Bible college, and so most students didn't talk to me for quite a while. Um, but I remember some of the guys there were like really you know, because we're first year Bible colleges, we knew Bible college students, we knew everything. And so they were big on faith. And they were, I remember this big debate over hyperfaith, the Copeland movement and all those. And so at, at recess or whatever, coffee time, they're having big debates on hyperfaith and how it's out of control. And, you know, I'm not a stirrer by nature. And so uh, I said to them, well, I, to be honest with you, I think hyperfaith is for the doubter. And I'm way beyond hyperfaith. Hyperfaith, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. Yeah, you've got to be into doubt for that. I'm into what I call mega faith. And I just believe if I just desire it, I can acquire it. And that didn't make him happy. And, but I'll never forget, I'll never forget Pastor Mari one day, because he's always teaching on faith, all these young people uh, arguing about faith and what it was. And uh, she got in class and she dropped the glasses right down on the edge of her nose. And she gave the Mari Cartledge stare, which was incredibly intimidating. And, and then she said, you think you young people know about faith? She says, you know nothing about faith until you've had teenagers. <laughs> faith, faith is the fuel that empowers our walk with God. Faith is not an optional extra for the Christian. It is the, the oxygen of the spirit man. It's the, it's the key ingredient in the life of every believer. It's not like it, it, you can choose to have faith or not have faith. In fact, the Bible says that if you don't have faith without it, it is absolutely impossible to please God. It is the thing that begins our whole Christian walk. You've gotta believe that God is. You gotta believe that God exists. Faith is not just something we have or something we, we learn, but faith is who we are as Christians. And faith is how we live. On four different occasions in Scripture, in Habakkuk 2 verse four, in Romans chapter one verse 17, in Galatians 3, 11, and in Hebrews 10, 38, God says, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. It's a lifestyle. So we need to live by faith and we need to live in faith and faith needs to live in us. Hebrews chapter 11, Paul's writings trying to inspire the church, trying to inspire us to live lives of faith, mentions a whole heap of faith heroes. I'm not sure if you have any faith heroes in your life, but I look back over the years different men and women of God who shape my faith life. I've had men and women in there, pastors and leaders who've uh, shaped my faith in believing God for finance and believing God for healing, uh, believing God for miracles, uh, believing God for breakthrough. I've watched what they've done and how they've spoken to me and it stirred me up. We have faith heroes throughout the Scripture. One of those heroes is the father of faith. Abraham. Remember Father Abraham who had many sons? Many sons had I am and so are. So let's just right arm. And 
So Paul's writing about Abraham. He says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed, against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promise. I don't know if you've been in those moments where all hell is breaking loose and you've got to just be fully convinced that God is going to do what God said He was going to do. There's been many times when I've had to stand back having a word from God saying to God, God, I know you didn't call me to mock me. I know you didn't call me to make a fool of me. I, I know you didn't call me to do this because you're in heaven and you're really bored and you thought to yourself, man, I don't know why I created eternity. It's a really long time and I need some entertainment. So this would be entertaining. I'll give John Morgan a call, but never do in him what I said he was gonna do. That should be really funny. Now that's scary that I could think like that because if I was God, that's exactly what I'd do. But that's not God. If God calls you, if God speaks to you, if God puts a word in your heart, it may take some time, but God will do what God said He was able to do. Verse 22, it goes on and says, that is why his faith was counted, this is Abraham, why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So where does faith live? Let me try to get through as many as I can uh, this morning. The first thing is simply this. Faith lives in a go. Faith lives in a go. Abraham was 75 years old when God spoke to him the first time and God said to him, go. Genesis chapter 12, verse one. How the Lord said to, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Faith lives in a go. Faith is always about action. Faith is always a step. It's a, a commitment. Now our bit in the faith equation is the go. The go is our portion. We have got to be able to go. We're going to take the step of faith. And so God says to Abraham, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. I want you to step out of your security. I want you to step out of everything that you've ever known. I want you to leave your father's house. I would suggest to you, young ladies, that if you're dating somebody and they're 75 years of age and they're still living in their father's house, probably not a good sign but I want you to get out of your comfort zone. I want you to go somewhere where you have never been and you get the go and God rarely gives the details of where the go is. But you just gotta take a step in, in faith. He didn't know where he was gonna go. You don't get the show before you get the go. One of my first trips to New Zealand, when I went there to check it out about pioneering a church many years ago, the guy that I was with, the pastor that I was with, knew his way around uh, New Zealand and he, he had me drive and so I'm driving the car and I'm like, which way do we go to the hotel? He says, well, just find your way. 
I'm like, I have no clue where to go. He says, I'll tell you when you're going the wrong way. And so I drive, I turn left and I go down the road, yeah, wrong way. And I have to turn around. Like a 15 minute drive took like an hour. But that's sort of where God is. God's like, you just get out and, and if you head in the wrong direction, I'm gonna tell you you're going the wrong direction, but I need you to step out of everything comfortable, everything nice and take some risk. The, the go is our bit, but the show is God's bit. And he often withholds the show until we do the go. Leave what you know and then I will show. But you don't get it. God, God, God is, God, I found this out, that God is a, a God of vision and dreams and prophecy, big picture stuff, but really short on detail. And I think often God doesn't give us the detail because if we knew the detail, we probably wouldn't step out in the first place. So God, just, so God says to Mary, sends an angel down. She gets an archangel, not a, not a cherubim, archangel, lands in the house, special delivery, a message from God. Your son's gonna be great. He's gonna be the king of eternity. Just downloads this unbelievable, you read it, the unbelievable picture who Jesus was and who he is because the word came to pass. This is who your son's gonna be. Like you're becoming pregnant, this is the son. You gotta know, she's like, yes, because every mom wants their son to do good, but he's gonna do really good. He's gonna be gooder than anybody else's good. And so she's pumped about this, but, but there was a little detail that the angels sort of omitted. Like for that all to happen, you're gonna watch your son be captured by soldiers and beaten to a pulp. You're gonna stand back and watch your son be scourged within inches of his life. They're gonna tear out fistfuls of his beard. They're gonna spit in his face. They're gonna put a crown on his head. They're gonna crucify him on a criminal's cross and leave him up there to die by suffocation. They're gonna humiliate your son. That, that detail wasn't, like I'm, I'm pretty sure if the angel's like, hey, he's gonna be really awesome, but you as a mom, a young mom at that, are gonna have to stand by and watch this happen. Whether any mom will go, okay, let's run with that. Now that detail was left out. And then we know that he rose from the dead and we know that he ascended into heaven, but in anywhere in our brain, have we put in the fact that Mary never saw him on the planet again? Like your son's gone. To be that, you're not gonna be able to have him with you while you're alive. It's a slight detail that was left out. It was like Joseph's dream when he was 17. A lot of details left out in the vision. And so God will often give us a go, but He won't give us the show until you do the go. Now, when you do the go, God will, and you just gotta keep going, and each go will create a moment, and each moment creates momentum, and faith is all about momentum. And I'm here today that maybe you've lived by faith at one point, and you've just stopped, you've taken a pause, maybe some difficult circumstances have come, and you've stopped moving in the life of faith, you've lost your momentum, and I'm here to stir you up today to say, come on, let's take a step of faith again. Let's step out and believe God to to do miracle signs and wonders. Romans chapter one, verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So faith is about momentum. Every step is building momentum. You see it in the life of Elijah. Elijah takes a step of faith, steps out of obscurity, 
steps out of the, you know, the, the, the back blocks of life and steps onto probably the largest platform on the planet in that time. He steps into Ahab's court. Ahab is the seventh king of the northern kingdom and regarded as Israel's most evil king. He was so bad, he married a woman called Jezebel. Now, Jezebel's bad. You know Jezebel's bad because thousands of years later, Christians are still casting her out of other Christians. Like, I'm not sure there's a worse thing that you can call a sister in Christ. You can call her a poo-poo head. You can call her Satan. You get away with both of those. Call her Jezebel. She'll punch you in Jesus' name. So this is a bad, this is a bad fan. And so uh, uh, Elijah steps out of obscurity and says, you know what? It's not gonna rain or have any dew until I say so, and it stops. Then he goes to the brook Cherith and he's provided for by God. And then he goes from there to the widow's house at Zarephath and gets provided for there and then raises her son from the dead. And he's got this faith momentum, goes up on the mountain, calls down fire, single-handedly executes the prophets of Baal. Step one, step two, moving in faith and then gets so much faith momentum that he outruns the king's chariot with horses, runs over 70 miles and beats the king's chariot getting there through faith momentum. But it all begins with taking a step. You gotta take the step of faith. Faith also lives in a look. So why you see things. Abraham was 80 years old when God spoke to him a second time and said to him, look. Genesis chapter 13. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. So what had happened here, Abraham and Lot, this is his nephew, had been incredibly successful, very prosperous, you know, God's blessing upon their, their life and they couldn't coexist together because there's just too much turmoil uh, because they had so much stuff. And so Abram says to Lot, listen, you choose whichever way you wanna go. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He, he's pretty much saying, look, I, I'm not relying on you. I'm relying on God. So whatever you choose to do, um, you know, we'll just flow with that. And so Bob says Lot gets out and he looks to the left and the lot on the left had, was well irrigated, well watered, looked fantastic, it, 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 a lot was done on that lot. Then he looked to the right and on that lot, there wasn't a lot. There, there wasn't irrigation, it was hard, a lot of work to do. And so as Lot's thinking about the two lots, he's thinking, well, the lot over on that lot's got a lot, that lot doesn't have a lot. If I take the lot with the lot, I'll have a lot of time to do all the things I wanna do, and that's a lot, and I can have things allotted to me, but if I take the lot without the lot, then I won't have a lot of time to do all the things that I wanna do. And so Lot took the lot with the lot. And so, Abram now has got this empty field where nothing is done and God says, cast your eye. I want you to see it as already done. Faith lives in a, in a bold expectation that even though nothing is there, it calls those things that are not as though they are. That's how God operates. It's a 
decision. It is a choice. Faith sees the big picture. Faith sees big dreams. Faith has great expectations. Faith just believes that tomorrow is gonna be massively bigger and better than today. It's how God operates. Faith sees things that aren't there. I remember when I was living in uh, New Zealand, I was a new Christian and uh, just fairly, barely saved, probably fresh out of the jungle. And I was working as a chef and, and I was making this guy a lot of money. But in this process uh, of, of being a Christian, I started to feel the call of God on my life. Now, I couldn't describe it to you. If you told me what's gonna happen, I'd be like, I don't know. How's God gonna train? I don't know. Where are you gonna end up? I don't know. And I didn't have, but I just knew there was a call of God on my life. I remember going to my boss, Paul Postema, and saying to him, hey, uh, I, I think I'm gonna have to resign. I, I think I'm gonna move back to Australia. I feel, like, I feel like God's calling me. And he was an atheist. And he goes, well, you're stupid. And he says, don't do that. He says, this is what I will do. He said, if you'll move to Queenstown, I wanna build a 50 capacity chalet. If you'll go down there and run that for me, run the kitchen, run the chalet, make it all happen. If you'll work for me for five years, I'll gift that to you and I'll set you up financially for life. I'll set you up for life. And I said to him, I don't really feel like God's calling me to be a chalet owner. I feel called to ministry to do God's work. And, and he looked at me like I was stupid again. And then he said, well, go on and do it. And, and, and in a couple of years time, he said, when you find out God's not real, come back and I'll have a job for you. And I said to him, well, build the chalet in a couple of years time, start tithing to me. But, but, but at that point, it's like, well, what is God gonna do? I don't know, but I've got a glimpse out there somewhere that God is gonna do in me something that I can't really see. What I'm doing today, I had no idea back then what I'd be doing today, but I knew that God was gonna do something. And so you gotta look at those things that are not and call them like they are. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the Fields. Why? Because they are white unto harvest. I love the fact that Jesus said, lift up your eyes and take a look at the fields, not field, fields. More than one. There's more than one opportunity. There's one more, more than one opportunity for the step of faith. And so faith requires that we, that we reach, that we step out in a spiritual expectation and place a demand on God. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, and so that what is seen was made out of that which is invisible. That's what faith does. It's how we got here in the first place. It's like God reached into the invisible. People are like, well, God is you know, the figment of your imagination. Not true. You're the figment of God's imagination. You didn't imagine God into being. We didn't, this didn't exist. And God imagined us. God spoke, God reached into the invisible and pulled out of the invisible realm, us, created us. And that same ability to reach into nothing and bring it into something is the substance of the faith of God. 
And so God says, I want you to reach in what you don't see and I want you to call it done, that, that son or that daughter that's not walking with God and they're far away from God and they're doing their own thing. God says, I want you to call that done. I want you, I want you to see them sitting in church beside you. I want you to see them worshiping God beside you. My mother did that with me. I was far away from God. I was going to hell. I was do not pass go, do not collect $200. That's a vague monopoly reference. And, and, and there was a guy called Mark Gorman and who was a young man and he was from America and he preached on the platform at Calvary in Townsville. And when, and when Mark was preaching, God spoke to my mother and said, John's gonna be preaching here. John's gonna do that. And there was no way. I, I was not even anywhere close to God at, at, at that point. But God put that dream. So she started prophesying. And then I preached on Calvary's stage multiple times after that. Why? Because just start, what's the dream you gotta get in your heart? I'm here to tell you today, start to dream again. Come on, church, start to, start to believe God again. Start to, start to expect great things again. Too many people in the church are prisoners of 2020. It's done, it's over, it's dusted. It's time for us to move on and to lay hold of what God, don't be a prisoner to the past. Don't be a prisoner to past failures. Don't be a prisoner to past hurt. Don't be a prisoner to past disappointment. Don't even become a prisoner to past faith fails. Maybe you stepped out in faith and you didn't do good. You're like, well, I'm not gonna do that again. No, step out again. Just keep going over and over and over. It's how you see life and it really matters. You know, the old story, you know, some people see the glass half empty and then other people see the glass half full. But faith sees the glass overflowing and starts calling for buckets. Faith, like I see that half filled glass, but it, I see it overflowing. That's what faith does. Faith sees things that aren't there. You've got to stir yourself up. It, it, it's like the 12 spies going out to, you know, eye out the promised land. And 10 come back and they say, yeah, it's a great, great land and huge fruit. But they couldn't see the fruit because of the size of the giants. And Joshua and Caleb couldn't see the giants because of the size of the fruit. They come back like, man, you should see the fruit. Unbelievable, huge mangoes, biggest mangoes you've ever seen, grapes. They've got like two or three of these giants carrying the, these grapes. We're sure that the fruit is full of steroids because the giants are big from eating the fruit. The bananas are so big, you've got to call them a banana, nana, nana, nana. They're just, the, the fruit is huge, it's huge fruit. You should see the fruit. They couldn't see the giants because of the size of the fruit. I'm here to tell you today, come on. Let's get stirred up again in faith. We are called to live a life of faith and faith begins and lives in a look. Faith lives in account. Abram is 85 years of age when God speaks to him the third time and God says to him, count. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. He was, he was saying, if I'm gonna be a father of many nations and I'm old, probably not gonna have you know, any kids, and so uh, he, he, one of his servants, Eliezer from Damascus, in his mind, he's like, I think this is gonna be the guy. And then God speaks to him and says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. 
if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Faith lives in a count. Over a decade has passed now. 10 years have, uh, have, have happened and nothing has happened. He's waited 10 years and nothing has happened. And God starts to stir his faith up as Abraham tries to rationalize this and make it work in his own strength and God is encouraging him, don't, don't do that. The, th the thing about faith is, and I hate this, but it's just a reality, is you gotta have patience. Don't pray for it, don't pray for patience. I pray for everybody else to have patience. But, but you gotta have patience. You gotta, if God spoke to you, you gotta sit back, you go, if God said it, I know he's gonna do it and we're gonna walk through some things to get there, but I am gonna hold on and wait. Hebrews chapter six, verse 11, 12 says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, our problem, well, I'm not, probably not yours, but mine, def definitely mine, is that we live in chronos. We live in chronological time. And I am not a patient person. I hate lines. Like, like on, on our first date, when I took my wife out on our first date, we were out, and the first restaurant we went to, I said, how long, and I forgot to make a booking, because I'm stupid, and, and, and they said 35 minutes, and like, oh, I can't wait, and so we walked to the next restaurant, and then, they're like, how long is the wait? They said 20 minutes, no, we're not waiting, and we went to five restaurants, and we walked for an hour and a half, um, <laughs> and I'm getting takeaway. <laughs> So I don't, I don't like the, the, the patience word, but it, you, sometimes you just gotta hold on that, that God is gonna do what he said he is gonna do. Hebrews chapter six, verse 11, Abraham patiently waited and he obtained the promise. He patiently waited and he obtained the promise. If God spoke to you and promised it to you, you may not have it right now, but it's gonna, I found that God has time. I found that God has time. In 1987, 1987, I was at Bible college. It was a Sunday night college promotion. Dr. Cartledge was preaching on the Sunday night. And again, I was at COC. Most of the students didn't like me. And I think most of them thought I wasn't even saved. And, and it probably wasn't. Uh, but, but, but Pastor Cartledge got up and he opened the Bible and he gets in there, he reads the scripture. There's a man sent from God whose name is John. And then he says, another one here tonight, John Morgan, stand up. And so I stood up and he just downloads this huge prophetic word about what was gonna do. But the end of the word said, but God's not gonna do it now. It's for a divine time. For if I do it now, you won't be prepared. But God is gonna do a preparation phase in you and then do the word. 87. Well, I passed it in New Zealand from 89 right through to close to 99 and 
you know, pioneered South Sydney Christian Life Centre, planted four or five churches out of that, put a stack of people into ministry. And I thought in that season that that word was coming to pass in that season. Because when God says, it's not for now, you think, okay, a couple of years, two or three years, gonna be it. I can wait that long and he's gonna do it. And so when I resigned my church and then took on some other ministry things and started traveling, I thought that the God word that David had prophesied was done and dusted. Then in 2021, when we were interviewing to take over this church in Washington, D.C., it had been a big established church, a 2,000-seat auditorium and an 800-seat auditorium and a school on, you know, I think it's 200,000 square feet of building or something like that. It's a massive thing. And I'm interviewing to be the pastor there and, and meeting with different people. And the day that it comes up for the vote to put me in, and, and, and I had the highest vote ever in a approval, nine people, I'm still trying to find out who they are, voted against me. I just want to stand them up and prophesy bad stuff over them, but apparently I'm not allowed to know. It's really disappointing. And, but I remember Dr. Roden, I remember Dr. Roden coming in and God had been speaking to me earlier in the week about stuff. And then Dr. Roden, who was the man doing the transition, prays for me before the service starts. And then he says these words, there was a man sent from God, whose name is John. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me at that point, yeah, you thought it happened back there. But what he prophesied in 87 is coming to pass now. It's never happened. It's never come to pass. But this is the day that the Lord has made. God obviously had patience. We're in the year 2000. We're in a whole new... You follow what I'm saying? So God's got the ability, why? Because God is a God of eternity. Here's what you, you need to do. We prayed for a church that God would open a door, my wife and I, for 10 years. For a decade, we prayed for a church. And there were some opportunities that come that wasn't the hand of God on. And then out of nowhere came this church. And it answered everything we'd been praying for to the detail. It answered prophetic words that we'd been given over the five years before we, we went there. Why? Because when God's hand is on you and God said He's gonna do it, you, you gotta be able to do it. But how do, you, how do you not lose that faith? Then you gotta count your blessings. I think where most Christians go wrong is they, they forget to identify all the good things that happen in life. People are like, well, you're so positive. Yeah, but my life is no different than you. I still have to handle mess and disappointment and things said that are not true and room. We, all, we, we pretty much, not everybody experiences the same thing, but similar things of discouragement and opposition and resistance. Say, so, well, how, 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 how do you cope? I don't focus on that. I look for the blessings. I trained my children when they were young. Count on the blessings of God. Look to the blessings of God. I remember, I think Shreya was six and Brooke was like five and I took them to Disneyland in Brisbane, uh, in, uh, in Los Angeles. Maybe I'm prophesying, in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. We're at Disneyland in Los Angeles. And we get in the door and I said to the girls, I said, you know why we're here? And they're like, because you got tickets? Yeah, technically that's accurate. Uh, but you know why we're here? Because we flew to America. Yeah, again, very accurate. You're very smart. Um, but you know why we're in Disneyland? And they're like, no. And I said, because you're pastor's kids. 
This is the blessing of God on your life. Because if daddy wasn't doing ministry, we wouldn't be here today. This is the blessing of God on our life. And I said to them, do you love being pastor's kids? And they're like, we love being pastor's kids. And I made them run through Disneyland going, we love being pastor's kids. What is that? I, I, I've learned to find the blessing to find where it is at. It's gonna be somewhere. It may be a friend. It may be an opportunity. It may be a, a door open. Sometimes the blessing is that the door closed. But every now and then, you and I, we've gotta count the blessings of God. There's an old hymn, and it goes like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one, Am I finished time? Is that the hint? Are the people from Morayfield calling up? Turn his microphone off now. I am looking at the clock and I know I've got a couple of minutes left. I know the sound guy hates this message. Sorry, man. Well, maybe he just hates the hymn. Maybe somebody requested that hymn last week and he's like, no. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will keep on singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. That's the eye of faith. It sees things that are there. It finds a blessing. And God, you can go to God. God, I knew that you would do it then and I know that you can do it now. I, I thank you that you moved here and I know you can, maybe you're today, you're stuck in that moment where you're like, man, it's hard for me to see God and I'm really struggling, I'm really battling to be able to take that, that faith step. I wanna encourage you today. Just sit back. Put some worship music on. Look at your life and try to, try to find the one thing that God is faithful in. And when you see that one thing, it'll be amazing how many other things are gonna come. I'd like if the band would come and so grateful for everybody at Redcliffe who's online with us today and believe that God is speaking to you right where, where you are at. But what is that one thing? What is that one thing that you should be looking for? I remember meeting a lady when I first moved to Sydney and uh, she had like four sons and three of the sons were serving God in a big capacity. But she had one son that was uh, far away from God and was really breaking her heart. And she said to me, I remember, I'll never forget, we're, we're talking and, and, uh, and she said, uh, there's nothing about him or what he's doing that I can love. He's so far from our family, so far from God. When I look at his life, everything about him was disappointing. And I found it incredibly hard even just to pray for him. And so God spoke to her and said, find the one thing. There's gotta be something in his life that you love. There's gotta be one thing and she said, John, you know what it was? He had beautiful eyes. Nothing else I could see about him was 
I was able to celebrate. But when I looked at him, I said to God, he has beautiful eyes. And then God said, focus on that. And so every time he came home, she looked and she thought to herself, my son has beautiful, and it changed her heart. And as it started to change her heart, it changed her prayer. And as it changed to change her prayer, and God, she was able to sustain the time that he was away from God. And he ended up repenting and coming back to God and getting restored to the family. And God did a great miracle uh, for her faith and expectation in God. But it began with her finding one blessing, one little thing that seemed so insignificant, but he had beautiful eyes. I wonder what that one thing is for some of you today. God's speaking to somebody here, somebody at, at Redcliffe in the house today, and God's saying, I want to do miracles in your life. Step out in faith again. You say, I don't know if I can take the step. Then close your eyes and ask God to speak to you and show you something so you can take that step of faith again. Come on.